Luke chapter 10 and beginning in verse 21. In that hour, Jesus rejoiced in the spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for it seemed good in your sight. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son, and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Then he turned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes which see the things you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings have desired to see what you see and have not seen it, and to hear what you hear and have not heard it. Behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength, and with all of your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered rightly. Do this, and you will live. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, He who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. Now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. And God had his blessing on that reading of his own word. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, your word is so powerful, it is a two-edged sword. It cuts both ways. And, Lord, it brings us to reality as to who we are and to who you are. How we pray, Lord, that your mighty Holy Spirit, the Spirit who inspired these words in the first place, would come to us and aid us and open our hearts and minds to receive the things of truth, the things that we need to hear in these words. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
We come now to the end of Luke chapter 10, to the story of Mary and Martha. Now, the Gospel of John, as you probably recall, makes it very clear that this family had a special place in the heart of Jesus Christ. John 11.5 summarizes it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. He loved them. He loved all three of them. But we also know from Revelation 3.19, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Because Jesus is the good shepherd. He does that. He corrects his sheep when they are going astray because he cares for them. And in this case, Martha needed some correction. Now, the issue was not about sin, some cut and dry, uh, doing something that was prohibited by the word of God. It wasn't in that absolute sense. It had to do with priorities, relative priorities, the difference between doing something good and doing something better. And let me say that while the whole of Scripture is absolutely relevant to us and important and not a single word should fall to the ground, this right here, this issue of priority, I think that this is something hugely important for us. Because having visited you in your homes and having as much as possible tried to understand what your problems as Christians are, Christian people in this congregation, let me give you my summary. You don't have enough time gifts or resources to do the things that you want to do or even the things that you think you have to do is that does that describe it is that your situation well this is for you this is about priorities because you have to pick that's where the matter of priority comes in when we all have priorities whether we thought them through whether we prayed about them whether we've written them down or not we we have them the things that actually get done those are priorities it's very easy All someone has to do is take an account of the things that actually get done in the year, bring in somebody objective, somebody independent, and come track what the things that get done, and you say, those are your priorities. doesn't matter what you'd like to be your priorities. doesn't matter what you wish your priorities were. Those were your priorities in 2014, the things that actually got done. Now, I want to say, brothers and sisters, that it might just be, might just be that God puts us in situations where we cannot do everything just so he sees what it is that gets done. Because he wants to have priority in our hearts. What things take precedence? When push comes to shove, which things get postponed? Which things get shortened or even forgotten? Is it our time with him? Is it our reading of his precious word? Is it... Is it our prayer and and communion with him? I don't know. I don't know. Well, this is the issue with Martha. She was doing a good thing. It was no sin. She was not in sin. She was doing a good thing, but she was neglecting something that was even more important. J.C. Ryle says these words, which resound in my own Mind as I say them, we may go down to the pit of hell from the very midst of lawful things. Christ, you see, must have first place in our hearts. And even service to him cannot override loving communion with him. All of the duties that we might have in this life, they are assigned by Christ. And no duty can or should be allowed to pull us away from him. Well, the title this morning is A Matter of Priority. 
with these four points. First, serving Christ is good. Second, communion with Christ is better. Third, anxieties misplace priorities. And fourth, Christ must set our priorities. Serving Christ is good. Communion with Christ is better. Anxieties misplace priorities. And Christ must set our priorities. So first, serving Christ is good. We read in verse 38, Now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. Now, let me just say at the outset, this, we have to recall what was said just a, a chapter ago in Luke 9, 58. Jesus said, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And I'm making the very simple preliminary point that Jesus needed hospitality. This is not just a, a fancy showing off kind of entertainment. It was a need that he had. Apart from this hospitality, he and his disciples would have been out in the cold. And Martha gave this hospitality, this very needed thing to him. She welcomed him into her house. And that, I should say, entailed cost, didn't it? Certainly in terms of the outlay of of food, but also in terms of what the Jewish leaders might have thought. You know, the men who would soon enough, very soon enough, plot to kill their brother Lazarus had probably already let it be known what was said in John 9.22, They feared the Jews, for the Jews had already said that if anyone confessed he was Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. So there was cost. There was risk. Again, for this kind of reason, that that kind of risk, the church in Jerusalem would later be reminded, do not forget or do not neglect to entertain strangers, for by some doing some have unwittingly entertained angels. That's in Hebrews 13.2. Because they were facing persecution and they were feeling the pressure not to entertain Christian ministers, lest they bring persecution upon them. Well, in all this, serving Christ was absolutely a good thing in every sense. It absolutely was. Now, we know this hospitality not only entails cost, it entails risk, it also entails work. Because she now has 13 people to prepare a meal for, to host for the night, to clean up after, all these things. It's a lot of work, but work is commanded in the law. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. And Martha, working to provide hospitality for anyone in the law, anyone is going to be, it's lawful, it is commendable, it is a good thing. More so for Christian disciples. It's, it takes it to another level. Jesus says in Mark nine forty one, whoever gives a cup of water to drink in my name because you belong to Christ, assuredly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. So that's taking it to a higher level. She's hosting Christians. And then, of course, there's one more level to go. Doing it for Christ himself, even more so. So this is a good thing. Serving Christ, that was a great good thing, no doubt. But secondly can't forget that communing with Christ is even better. Verse 39, here's a contrast. She had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. And see, the thing is, Jesus, hosting Jesus at your house comes with benefits as well as costs. Because Jesus is the teacher of his people. He is the good shepherd and he never failed to feed his flock. In public or in private, he is taking opportunities, and no doubt he is taking the opportunity of while the meal is being prepared or whatnot, as they're just in the house, to teach. And having Jesus come and teach in your home, that's no small privilege. 
As earlier in this very chapter, verses 23 and 24, Jesus points out, he turned to his disciples and said, Blessed are the eyes which see the things you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings have desired to see what you see and have not seen it, and to hear what you hear and have not heard it. And here, so here they have the privilege denied to prophets, denied to kings, denied to angels even. They have this privilege even in this house. How could Mary turn away from such things? She has to hear. She has to listen. Because that's even more important. That's a higher priority for her. And that's right. And it's not just merely hearing teaching like a student in a lecture hall. And I hope that's not the way you're hearing the word of God this morning. It's not just hearing it to gain the information. It is clear from what has been said as she sat at Jesus' feet that she just wanted to be with Christ. That's the thing. It's so similar to what we have in John 12 too. They made him a supper and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. We know that she did this beautiful thing for the Lord. Now that goes well beyond a student just listening to the teacher. This is a child of God communing with the Lord whom she loves so dearly. She did not just stand in the back. She was there at Jesus' feet. She loved him. She wanted to be with him. This is like the beloved disciple leaning upon Jesus' breast, John, the Last Supper. This is the way things are going to be in eternity, praise God, in Revelation 21.3. Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them. It's not even that he will hold lectures for them. He will live with them. And they shall be his people. God himself will be with them, and he will be their God. Will there be opportunities to serve in eternity? More than likely there will be. I think there probably will be. But they don't get much notice in Scripture because the main thing is simply communion with Christ. That is the great gift. That is the great thing to be looked, looked forward to beyond all things. That's why worldly people don't understand heaven. The only thing they possibly get as you open the Bible and you describe it to them is that there's streets of gold and that there's gem, precious gems and so forth. And they say, oh, that sounds good. But that's, that's just the furniture. That's like these green chairs we have here. It's nothing. The attraction of heaven is to be with the Lord whom we love and to commune with him. Communion with Christ is better. And so even in this world, taking the fleeting opportunities that we have to commune with our Lord, it's better, even better than serving him in other ways. Jesus describes it in in verse 42, but one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen that good part in the singular. And it's not going to be taken away from her. Because serving Christ is good, but communion with him, that's even better. It is the one thing, it is the good part And it rightly takes priority over everything else. So communion with Christ is the best. Thirdly, anxiety is misplaced priorities. Martha is doing a good thing. And Mary is doing an even better thing. And so far, so good. But notice how this, this situation is described then in verse 40. That Martha was distracted with serving. And she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. 
Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. You see, she's not just serving. There's nothing wrong with serving. She is distracted with much serving. Now, more than likely, commentators differ, more than likely it probably means that she's doing a little bit more than what was absolutely necessary. She was taking it to a higher level than, than, than actually just providing for the needs. Maybe that was the case. And may, may, no doubt she thought it appropriate to make something extra special and assume that Jesus would be pleased with it. Of course, Mary did something extra special and Jesus was pleased with it. So maybe she's not wrong. We don't know. It's not said. The issue, the main problem, is that she is distracted by her service. In a very literal sense, it is pulling her away. That's what the, the word sort of means in Greek. It's pulling her away. And Jesus says to her, you are worried and troubled about many things. And even more significant, I think, is that word worried. It's translated elsewhere as anxious. And that might not trigger any alarm bells in your head, but it, I think it ought to. Because what did we see just a couple of, of chapters ago in the parable of the seeds? Do you remember the, the three different categories, or the four different categories of seed? Do you know which one I said worried me the most? It wasn't category one. It wasn't category two. It's actually category three. And what does it say? Luke eight fourteen. Now the ones that fell among thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares. Same word. Riches and pleasures of life and bring no fruit to maturity. Anxiety is no trivial thing. It is spiritual poison. It is deadly. It will kill you. And Jesus warns people in Luke twenty one thirty four. Take heed to yourself. Lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and cares. Same word. Same word. And that day come upon you unexpectedly. Again, this thing, this care, this anxiety, it could bring you to your spiritual death. And we need to understand that. We must understand that. And that's why I want us to return to a very familiar passage in, in Matthew six twenty four in the Sermon on the Mount, and I'll read it at length because you have to understand what the problem is. It says in Matthew six twenty four, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. That means material things. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry, same word, about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? So why do you worry about the things? Why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? Now here, here's the thing. Here's, here's the words that should, should drop down into your heart at this moment. For after all these things the Gentiles seek. Do you see how it is? The people who are not Christians, the people who don't love Jesus, the people that hate him, this is what they do, this is what they're preoccupied with, this is what they seek. Jesus says, don't do that to me. Don't do that to me. 
He goes on, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Do you see what it is? It's a matter of priority. It's not, don't feed yourselves because that's sin. Don't clothe yourself, that's sin. That's not what he's saying. He's talking about an anxious concern for these things, a seeking after these things that pushes other things to the side. That's the problem. The problem is that something else has to go. The point is that anxieties and worldly cares, they're going to distort and upend our spiritual priorities. And getting back to our text, in Luke 10, all that distortion, all that misplacement of priorities, it shows up in its ugliest colors in Martha's attitude towards her sister. Because Martha is not just content to carry on. She now actually thinks that Mary is in the wrong for sitting and listening to Jesus. That's just how messed up she now is. That her distraction and her anxiety has brought her to that point. And she wants Jesus to correct her. She's wrong, Jesus. Fix it. Hmm. And Martha says, by the way, do you not care? Wow. Do you not care? That's how topsy-turvy her world now is, that she's looking out with with glasses that, that have been altered so that what is up is down and down is up. And she's looking out and she's seeing her sister in sin and she's seeing Jesus and saying, do you not care? You're not even correcting her. Kind of reminds me of something else, you know, in Mark 438 and the storm in the Sea of Galilee he was in the stern asleep on a pillow and they woke him and said to him teacher do you not care that we are perishing well just because Jesus is for the moment allowing something to happen does not mean that he doesn't care about us in the case of the storm he meant that storm to be there he knew about it he ordained it he wanted it to be there he had good purposes In the case of Martha's burdensome anxiety, he did not want it to be there. And that's the problem. Jesus did care about Martha. He cared. And he cared too much to let her continue on in this anxiety, this distraction that was destroying her and keeping her from a wonderful gift, by the way. Again, yes, we serve in Christ's name. He needed that service. He needed that hospitality. But Christ also came to minister to them. Let Christ minister to you, brothers and sisters. Sometimes I see you weighed down, distraction and care and anxiety. And I ask you then, how, how has been your time with the Lord? How, what is your communion with Him? How are your quiet times? And you say, I'm too busy. Brothers and sisters, beloved, this is how Jesus serves you. This is how Jesus fixes those problems. He's got nothing else to do. What is he going to do for you except to minister to you through his word and in prayer? This is his solution to the problem. Martha was neglecting this great gift that was there. Well, we see very clearly how her anxiety was distorting her priorities in a most bizarre and ugly way. The fourth, we need to understand that Christ sets our priorities. Reading again in verse 41, Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. Now, 
Christ does not say, well, Martha, I know this is important to you, and I'll, I'll go ask her to help. He doesn't say that. No, he sets her straight. Because her priorities have become so distorted and misplaced, of course, it's a problem. It is dishonoring to him, by the way. That's the, the ironic thing. She thinks to honor him by this service. But actually, the net effect of this is to, to dishonor him. And he gets, he's, re, he's resetting these priorities. That's be, the simple fact of the matter is that he is Lord. And we need to understand that, I think, too. When we, when we put our faith in Christ, we say he's Lord, we have to understand something, that he really is Lord. And that he really does get to set our priorities. He gets to determine them. Right? He did that for the church in Ephesus. You know, Revelation 2.1. Listen, to, listen, be careful, listen. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. Good, good, good. You have tested those who say they're apostles and are not, found them liars. You have persevered and have patience. You have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you. That you have left your first love. They were so busy serving Christ, they didn't have time to love him. And Jesus says, thank you very much. I affirm all those good things. Your priorities need to be reset. All things must give place to the master of all things. You know that Jesus said, you should, man shall not live by bread alone. It's interesting, you know, in Luke 4, and the temptations in the desert... The devil says to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread, because that should be your priority, this earthly material thing. You know, and you have to say, maybe Satan's just being a good host. Jesus is hungry. He's trying to feed him. Right? His priority is to get some, Jesus some food, but Jesus doesn't seem to appreciate the gesture. Why not? Because it involves putting something ahead of God and his word. Jesus answered and said, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. And what do we have here? A situation of bread, Martha, and a situation of the word, Mary. The word of God and communion with Christ must take priority. You know, there are two tables in the law. Do you guys know that? Two tables. And one takes priority over the other. You can ask anybody out in the street and they will probably affirm the second table of the law. It has to do with man. It has to do with don't kill, don't commit adultery, don't lie, those sorts of things. But God in his wisdom put the first table first and it has to do with God and worshiping him on his day, for instance. He sets our priorities. He is God. He gets to do that. In Christ, Colossians 1.18, he is the head of the body of the church. Beginning the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. He's going to have to set our priorities. Now, in application, many things could be said. I'll start with this one. Seek first the kingdom of God. If you're outside of Christ, if you're not a disciple of Christ, if you're not saved, if you haven't put your faith in him, then there is one thing that is needful for you. And that is to seek the Lord while he may be found. Seek first the kingdom of God because nothing else matters. You could accomplish many things in this life. 
You could be famous. You could become rich. You could do many good things for other people. But if you do not have Christ, it will all mean nothing in eternity. Because you will perish. You'll go to hell for your sins. Even one. Even one sin in your distant past. That will send you to hell. And then. All those things will mean nothing. No, you must seek first the kingdom of God. And if you are a Christian then. What do we say? Well, I would say secondly. We need to put Christ first with regard to our devotional life. You know, what aspects of our life could Christ look at us and make a similar pronouncement of a choice between us doing something good and something better? And I'd have to say that in my own case, the vulnerable area, the thing that is going to die, the canary in the mine shaft is certainly my devotional life. We must pull ourselves away from the demands of our ordinary life, however legitimate that they might be, to sit at Jesus' feet. We have to... You know, imagine the situation. Here is the the Mary and Martha situation, but imagine another one. Imagine a child who tells his father, you know, the the father comes home and, you know, here's your opportunity to be with me and just says, "Let's, let's sit down and maybe read a book. And the child says, I'd love to come sit with you, but I'm too busy. I have this work to do. I have to do it. And, and, And what is the father going to say? I hope the father would say, son, I'm in charge here. I'm the one who gives you your jobs. I'm the one who gives you your priorities. I assign you that task. Nothing I ever give to you could ever take priority of spending time above spending time with me. I love you. You cannot use the duty that I give you to trump a higher duty that I give to you. Again, if if I knew that half of you were getting in trouble because you were spending so much time with the Lord that you're neglecting your worldly duties, I'd I'd have to rein you back a little bit. But I don't know if that's the case. I don't know if it's the case with me. We need to make sure that our duties for the good do not trump the best. Thirdly, we have to think about the Sabbath day because, again, that's a, a microcosm, I think, of our whole spiritual situation. The way we are, our attitude towards the Sabbath, that is, that is pretty much our Christian life summed up. And there's a time and place for everything. Work is legitimate. Work is commanded. But there is also a day that is given to us to enjoy Christ and have fellowship with him. And that's the Lord's day. And that's the way he wants us to think about it. He doesn't want us to think about it. What can I get away with on this day? It's, no, here's your opportunity to spend time with me. I know you're busy, so great, I'm taking it out of your hands. I'm saying, don't work. Don't do anything. Just spend time with me on the Lord's day. It's as simple as that. So if you have a job and you have any choice in the matter, don't work on Sundays. Don't. There are some vocations that are inherently acts of mercy and or necessity, like health care, the police, the military, those sort of things. I know I was there once. But even there, 90% of the time, there is some element of choice involved. And if you have that choice, then exercise it. And especially for students. Especially for students. Don't get in a bad habit by working on the Lord's Day. Make it your habit to lay other things aside from early on. Of course, beyond working, don't buy things on Sunday. 
You're inherently making other people work. And, you know, most of us understand the concept that if your ox is in the well, you can pull him out even in Sunday. But the problem is sometimes we start thinking that the cat in a dry sink is the ox in the well. And, and the thing about the, the ox, you see, is that he's going to die. He's, he's actually going to die there. And that's why it's legitimate to, to pull him out on the Lord's day. So many times we have something that it's, no one's going to die. Nothing even wrong, bad is going to happen, actually. We just let those things lie. You know, Matthew 12 puts it this way. Behold, there was a man who had a withered hand, and they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath that they might accuse him? And he said to them, What man is there among you who has one sheep, and if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not lay hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value then is a man than a sheep? Therefore it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And so likewise, brothers, if we indeed have something that is, is a, a serious emergency, someone's life is on the line, some, some uh, opportunity that, that is, has suddenly arisen to do good for someone else, you do it. Does that have anything to do with your own convenience for yourself? No, I don't, I don't, think, that, I, I don't think that's what we're talking about. Let me say this as well, worldly recreations. I'm tempted to think that I'm preaching to the choir here. We all agree on the Sabbath, yep. But is there even a thought arising in our hearts that maybe our Westminster standards are being a little overstringent when it says not only the customary work, but also recreations? Let me read it. This Sabbath is then kept holy unto the Lord, while when men, after a due preparing of their hearts and ordering of their common affairs beforehand, ordering of their affairs beforehand, right? So you actually fill up the tank yesterday, not, not today. You buy food yesterday, not today. That sort of thing. Ordering of their common affairs beforehand. Do not only observe a holy rest all the day from their own works, words, and thoughts about their worldly employments and recreations, but also are taken up in the whole time in the public and private exercises of his worship and in the duties of necessity and mercy. Okay? Recreations. Let's go back to the text. Okay? It was not that Mary was simply taking a break by watching a football game in the other room, feet propped up watching the game. And Jesus says to Martha, your problem is that you're working too hard. Mary is taking a break, doing something she enjoys, watching some TV, and I support her in that. That's not what he said, is it? No, he commends Mary that her love and her desire to hear from him was so great that it pushed aside other good things. Her resting was not just a resting, it was a resting at his feet, listening to his voice and sharing sweet communion with him and with his disciples. And that's very much what is being said in Isaiah 58. If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord honorable, and shall honor him, not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words, then you shall delight yourself in the Lord. And I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth and feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. It's about delight in the Lord. That's why I say it's a microcosm. Where's your delight? Given to yourself, what would you want to do? Most of us, I hope, would say we want a piece of heaven. Well, here it is. It's here. It's here for the taking. God has given it to you and make your delight then 
in the Lord. And if other things have to take back seat for this day, that's a good thing. If other things, in fact, have to take a back seat in other times, that's a good thing. That's, in fact, I think Jesus would say to you that you have chosen the good thing and it will not be taken away from you. One last application. Hexam. Here we are. It's our joint service. And soon enough, tonight, the church in Hexham begins. And this is a good thing. A very good thing. A laudable thing. A commendable thing. I think the Lord is very pleased by this. But I want you to know it's going to be busy. Working the work of a church plant, establishing it in its early days, it's very busy. Everyone's, every hand to the pump. And I want you to remember, don't let anything displace Christ. That even in the midst of doing something good, very good for the Lord, do not let that trump your love for him, your desire to be with him and commune with him. Don't be like the church in Ephesus. And I say that to ourselves in Gateshead as well as to those in Hexham. We are doing this good thing of sending this church out, but let us not be like the church in Ephesus. Many works, many labors, much devotion, much perseverance, but not a lot of love. Let it not be sad. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, you are so good to us. Good enough even, Lord, that you pull us away from other things. Even as our anxieties and our distractions, they seek, they strive to pull us away from Christ. Lord, you step in, you intervene, and you bring us to yourself. We are so thankful for the good shepherd that has set in place those things, these means, the means of grace, and yes, this ordinance of the Lord's day that we would be freed from the slavery of the, of the urgent and of misplaced priorities. Lord God in heaven, we pray that you would help us. We know that the Gentiles think in these terms, but help us to seek first the kingdom of God. Help us to seek that one good and needful and necessary thing that Mary did. We know, Lord, it will not be taken from us. And we know those who seek, find. How we pray, Lord God, that you'd grant to us all, especially on this day, this day, Lord, and yes, a celebration, but also, Lord, the beginning of much labor on both sides. That, Lord God, you would grant us an enduring and burning desire to be with Christ and to commune with him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.